Welcome to the Dad Work Podcast. My name is Kurt Storing, your host and the founder of Dad Work. Men, I am interested to hear your initial thoughts on this podcast. Did you not want to click on it? Were you extra interested in it? Where did you land on the spectrum? Because today we're going to be talking about pornography and pornography addiction and some of the consequences that it has on the lives of men and boys. My guest today is Sathya Sam, and we go deep talking about the serious negative consequences of pornography use and addiction on men's lives, why men turn to porn in the first place, addiction versus use, how to have deep conversations about sex and intimacy in your relationship to build a transcendent connection, Sathya's personal journey through pornography addiction and recovery, the power of learning to love yourself, and how to talk to your kids about porn and sex. Sathya Sam is a coach and speaker that helps men live with confidence and integrity. A recovered addict himself, Sathya is the creator of Deep Clean, a research-based and Bible-backed system for overcoming porn addiction. Deep Clean has helped everyone from college students to medical doctors regain control of their lives and walk in greater levels of freedom. He's married to his lovely wife, Shaloma, and based out of Toronto, Canada. To find more about Sathya, you can visit his website, sathiasam.com. That's S-A-T-H-I-Y-A-S-A-M.com. You can pick up his free ebook at ultimaterecoveryguide.com. He has a podcast called Unleash the Man Within, and you can find him on Facebook and Instagram with the username Sathya Me Sam. That's S A T H I Y A M E S A M. And again, this one is uh, something we don't talk about nearly enough. And there is a propensity, I think, for a lot of men to brush this aside as though it's not a big deal. And you may have heard the Bible-backed part of Sathya's bio there. And I want to touch on that very briefly because uh, this is not a conversation that is steeped in religion or, or faith background whatsoever. It's very practical. And I know there are some listeners who are Christian, and you will learn a lot from this, obviously. And there are some listeners who are not Christian, and you will still learn the same things that I learned in this podcast. So I come at this from the point of view that there's there's really no good use and no good reason to be to be watching pornography and the reason for that is because as we'll get into in a minute all of these negative consequences and and whether or not it's running your life or you're addicted to it it just takes from every other part of your relationship and the power you have as a man i don't think that this is the only place to get what you're looking for if you're trying to get something out of porn i think there are ways to sit with the discomfort of whatever you're feeling, whether you use it to numb out, whether you use it to feel when you can't feel in any other part of your life, there are ways to go about doing the inner work required to get to a place where you no longer seek this out because it's not real. And that's a very important point that I think is going to be covered more and more as we get into things like Facebook and Meta and the metaverse. And you know, maybe there's some benefits in there, but my personal opinion is that we're getting to this place in this world where we are not interacting with reality. And porn use is one of those places. So I don't judge. I don't think you need to you know, quit full cold turkey. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to do once in a while. Like I don't have any judgments on it. And I just think there's a lot of good that can come from doing the work it takes to get very clear on why you use it, when you use it, how it makes you feel while and after you use it. And so this is just gonna be a very broad, wide open conversation about uh, the consequences and why men turn to it in the first place. And like I said, how to have these relate conversations with your intimate partner and your kids, because man, this is affecting a ton of kids. It's all over the place. You'll hear where Sathya found pornography for the first time, which is just insane. If he could find it where he found it, man, it's it's just everywhere. So all that being said, I just want to give a little bit of a preamble because I know this is a loaded topic and uh, hopefully we do it justice here. We'll be certain to follow up on this kind of conversation in the future for sure and would love to know what you think. So find us on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, check us out, dad.work. And all the socials are either dadwork.kurt on Instagram or dad.work on Facebook. All right. With all that out of the way, I hope that you learned something and enjoy this conversation with Cynthia Sam. All right. I am here. I'm live with Sathya Sam. We're going to talk to you today about a topic that uh, should have a lot more airtime and a lot of people feel very uncomfortable with, but man, this is a huge one, especially important for men, especially important for dads of boys. So Sathya, thank you for coming on, man. I'm super excited to get into this with you. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. And uh, let me just give you some props because this is uh, not an easy subject and not a lot of people are open to talking about it. So thanks for having me. I'm really excited to dig in a little bit. 
Amazing. Yeah, no, I see this, um, you know, in my men's group, I see this with the dads I work with as part of our community and dad work. Pornography addiction is nothing to laugh about, man. Like we, we so often talk about drugs and alcohol, but this is the thing that's underneath like a vast majority of men in the United States and Canada are watching this. And I was looking up some stats just before this and I saw something that was like, I don't know, 60, 70, 80% of guys watch it like once a week. And I was like, oh my goodness, like this is insane. And so the the thing that I want to do first of all is like set the stage for why men listening should even care about this. Because they might be like, I watch porn a little bit. It's not that bad. But I want you to tell us like what the actual consequences of pornography addiction are. Not in like a judging way, but just like, here's the facts. So do you have like some, a way to lay that out to give us a reason why it's so actual bad for us? Yeah, so I kind of categorize it into three arenas, Kurt. So there's the relational, there's the physical, and there's the spiritual. So relationally, the impact is becoming pretty significant. Um, One study showed that porn consumption uh, was likely to increase divorce rates by about 300%. So like if you introduce porn, either the husband or the wife introduces it, um, suddenly like your rates of infidelity and chances of splitting up just like they spike. So I think that's a huge one and we can we can dig into why a little bit but essentially you're in, introducing a third party into a relationship that's only meant to be between two parties. So that's usually where the relational breakdown starts and um and you know if you're not married I mean most people here are obviously um our parents for sure but maybe not necessarily married but the impact's the same on a dating relationship or anything else. Um physically uh we don't have a, a direct correlation physically, but we're able to read between the lines a little bit. So um, there's a book called The Penis Book. I highly recommend your audience buys it. Uh, it's actually a great resource. It's got a big eggplant emoji on the front, and it's written by Dr. Aaron Spitz, who is the one of the world's leading urologists. So um, he shared some stats in the book that I've been, I've been trying to share as much as possible because it was really insightful. But basically, the, the prevalence of erectile dysfunction in men under the age of 40 in 2001 was 5%. And that sounds exactly like what you'd expect. Like erectile dysfunction is kind of an old man's issue. And we've all seen the Viagra and Cialis commercials. We know how that stuff goes. Um, Today, in 2021, ED rates in the same demographic, guys 40 and under, is reported to be as high as 33%. Wow. 33%. So take that in for a minute. Like one in every three guys you meet under the age of 40 has had some experience with ED. Um, That's pretty alarming. And it started to increase um, around 2001 because, of course, that was the rise of the internet. But then the actual spike happens in 2007 when the smartphones started to become a little bit more mainstream. So that's what I mean where you can kind of read between the lines and see what's going on here. But that kind of physical impact is um, it's significant. And you can just imagine the ripples of not being able to perform sexually at a young age on your mental well-being, the health of the relationship, and somebody's just overall outlook, I would say, on life. Um, all of those things factor in. So the physical one is uh, a little bit overlooked in this conversation, but very, very important. And uh, the last thing is the spiritual. And, you know, I come from a Christian background. That's sort of my lens. But if you pull, up, pull aside my religion, um, and let's just say that spirituality is more about finding purpose and meaning in life, Um, When people really uh, engage with porn on a regular basis, it is almost always accompanied by hopelessness and powerlessness. And those two things literally suck the life out of somebody. And they certainly suck any kind of energy that you may have about your future, future ambitions for dreams, calling, making a difference in this world. And that's something we witness a lot in our clients here. So a bit of a long answer there, but hopefully that gives you a comprehensive overview of just how damaging pornography really can be. Yeah, thank you for giving those those stats and those facts, which is quite alarming. Yeah. I mean, that is just unbelievable, and it, and it makes perfect sense, too. Um, how much of this is because of pain or trauma or something like that? And I guess this is where the sort of addiction part of it comes in. But yeah. as I'm thinking about these things, it's like none of this is good, but there must be a reason that we men watch this. Like, why are you finding men actually watching this? Is it to like cover up for a a wound or a pain or a feeling they don't want to feel? Is it similar to like drugs and alcohol that way? Uh, Like what benefit are we getting from watching this? Because there must be something. Yeah, for sure. I think it's actually very similar to drugs and alcohol in the sense that it is generally pain 
of some kind that is really at the core of it. So there, people are either numbing the pain or they're relieving the pain using pornography. But I think um, the reason that the, the consumption rates are so high with porn compared to uh, you know, drug abuse or alcoholism is because porn also plays into a fundamental desire that every single human has, and not just a desire, but a need, and that is for connection and for intimacy. And porn is sort of like fast food intimacy. It, it gives you the illusion that you're getting it, but when it's all said and done, you feel emptier afterwards. So I think that is sort of the, um, it, it's just, it's why porn sinks its claws really deep into people's life. Because yes, it offers you the relief of pain or the numbing of pain, but furthermore, it's also giving you the connection that we so desperately crave to feel fulfilled and content in life. And uh, that's what makes it a really slippery slope. Right. Wow. Okay. So there, there must be a, like a lot of work that you have to do with people that you're coaching or bringing through your program to sort of tease out those underlying whys. Uh, is there anything that you help people with, particularly finding the, the, the pain below all of this? And maybe we can just like, let's go there, but I almost want to bring it back a little bit because it can be maybe jarring for guys to be like, well, I don't watch porn because I'm like in pain. So let's go into like ways that you have helped people find this pain. And then maybe let's back up a little bit and just be like, you know, how does this make sense that I'm watching this because I'm hurt? So we'll, we'll go that route if, if you have anything on there. No, for sure. That's a, those are loaded topics. So let me think a little bit. Like, I guess, um, we basically have three pillars for recovery, uh, and we really believe in the order of these pillars. So the first one is building self-awareness. The second is healing from the past. And then the third is identity formation. So um, we don't jump straight into like your traumas of the past. Um, we acknowledge that there's probably some stuff they're contributing. But the first thing is just building self-awareness. Self-awareness is unfortunately, it's a buzz term now. So um, what I mean by that is like, it's actually, it's actually just having an understanding of your inner life which guys are notorious for because we don't get taught this. And actually we get taught to not be aware of the inner life because it shows weakness and whatever else. And I would say as well, like um, it's probably not as natural for our wiring. So there's a little bit of all that at play. But all this to say is you can't actually go into the parts of your past unless you really have a concept for the inner life and kind of how it impacts things day to day. Um, I'll give, I'll actually use myself. I'll put myself on the altar a little bit here as, as the example of what it looked like to heal from the past. Um, rule number one is we only look at our past long enough to learn. So that's a really big one. I think a lot of guys are scared to go through their past because they don't want to wallow. They don't want to get stuck in things that are already behind them. I'm certainly of that mindset as well. But there are parts of our past that are contributing to our sexuality. It's really hard to separate those things. And so it would be wise for us to at least go back long enough to just simply learn, to heal, to grow, and then to move forward with our lives. So um, I'll fast forward a little bit. But basically, I was, um, I'd been struggling with porn for about 14 years. And um, it started off very small and kind of innocent. And then it really developed into something terrible. And I was, I was properly addicted. So um, I was getting professional help and I was in the office of a therapist and we started talking about my mom. My mom is um, an incredible woman. Like I was the guy who grew up with in like a really good home, safe environment, very little to complain about, no traumas, uh, certainly no capital T traumas, maybe a couple little T traumas, but like really nothing to scoff at. And my mom was always very supportive, very kind, very nurturing, loving, but a little bit reserved in her personality. So anyways, this person is asking me some questions. They're, they're sort of poking around, you know, and they're kind of asking about this relationship with my mom. And I'm like, yeah, you know, my mom was great. It was fine. There's nothing really to talk about here. And anyway, he, he did his job really well. He poked around. And all of a sudden, I realized that for a majority of my life, I've actually felt neglected by my mother. Now, not neglected in the sense that like she didn't feed me. It wasn't like she neglected my physical needs because that's kind of how guys would relate with that term but neglected in the sense that she actually never expressed love in the way that I needed it. Like she showed up for me and she did things for me. Um, that was her way of showing love. But I actually like, I really feed on people's words and I feed on time. And those are things that I didn't really get. So I'm making this discovery. And it's like one of those things where you have a moment, but you have like a thousand thoughts at once. Everything sort of coalesces. And I realized, well, duh, if you grow up and you don't get affection from your maternal figure the way you were supposed to or the way you need it, 
then doesn't it make sense that you would start to seek that affection in other places like chasing girls, pornography, and you know whatever else it might be. So for me, that was a real mind-blowing moment. And I, I think hopefully for your audience, that's a good example of how um, I would not have been able to connect those dots because it's not like when I was clicking around, I was thinking about how my, my mom neglected me and I'll show her, you know, like it's not a conscious thing, but it was clearly a, a plot that was kind of underneath the surface all along. Yeah, that is a perfect example. And I, I love going into things like this because there is so much of, you know, masculinity and everything that a lot of the men, male influencers these days are talking about, which is always move forward, get shit done, all the rest of that kind of stuff. And I am a hundred percent there. And it has to be like held in a container of and something else. And that's something else in my uh, experience, just personally, is like, we are so hardwired by the way in which our parents interacted with us or not, even if they did nothing wrong, even if it was our perception of that, like you say, small t trauma of just neglect. It's like, man, there is so much there that if you can't seem to stop doing what you think is damaging in your life, maybe have a look there and maybe do it with professional help like you did. But man, you, you sometimes just have to go back to move forward. So I'm glad you shared that. And, and thank you for being so vulnerable because I'd love to get into your story even more. But before we do that, let's go back just a little bit and talk about the difference between use and addiction. So one of the questions I had was like, is it okay ever to use pornography? And if not, why? And if it is, then what is the line between that and addiction? Yeah. Okay. That's a great question. So I'm, I'm certainly of the opinion that porn is never useful for you. Um, now that's really only one dimension of the equation. Um, we could get into it, but like, there's a lot of trafficking, a lot of abuse. There's some really terrible things that happen on the other side of the screen as well, which I think is why we should not be consumers of porn. Um, like I said, we can get into it. Uh, my focus is certainly on the other side of the screen, but porn, porn offers you nothing like whatever you think porn might give you. I can guarantee you there's a better way to get it that is going to have better long-term effects on your overall well-being and certainly your sexuality. So um, I don't think there's a place for pornography um, ever in somebody's life where it's actually beneficial. Um, and that, that ties into some of the reasons we mentioned earlier. Like even if you dabble in it, let's say you're married as an example, like dabbling in pornography is a little bit like getting a third party involved in your sex life every once in a while. Um, like it just, it doesn't work for the success of the marriage or the success of the relationship, you know? And again, if you're single, uh, but you want to be in a relationship, you want to find healthy avenues for getting your need for intimacy and connection met. That is the mark of a good man in a relationship context. And if you're using porn, all it reveals is the immaturity that you have in that area of your life. So again, it's, it's much better that you're able to find good ways uh, to feel content, to get those needs met, and that's going to be better for your relationships down the road as well. Um, as far as use and addiction, a really interesting subject because the, the diagnostic manual that psychiatrists would go by to diagnose alcohol addiction or drug addiction is not acknowledging porn as an addiction yet. Um, they have two categories of addiction. One is substance, which we all know, uh, drugs and alcohol being the main ones. And then there's process addiction, which is more behavioral. So they actually acknowledge, uh, well, of course, gambling, that's the popular one. They also acknowledge video game addiction, but um, there isn't enough research yet to kind of prove that porn has, I believe there's four or five qualities that's required for it to be uh, a diagnosable condition. And it, it hasn't proven that statistically yet. And a huge part of it is because um, it's just hard to get data around porn consumption because guys don't want to talk about it or open up about it. So that one's a little bit tougher, but I, I would say like it's only a matter of time. Um, they're doing like brain scans of the porn addicted brain versus a normal brain. And it looks very similar to the drug addicted brain. Like the, all the stuff is out there. It's just a matter of research kind of catching up and that becoming an, an official thing. So that's at least the starting point for that conversation, but we could get more into it if you want. Right. Yeah. Thank you. And um, one of the things that I was talking to uh, a previous guest, Ben Goreski, about is just like what counts as addiction. And one of the things that he said is that like it, it's something that you can't stop doing that gets in the way of other things or that harms your life in some way. And so I think mm. that's the lens that I look at these things, whether or not there's like psychological papers that say like, yes, it's an addiction. Like it's pretty clear just in anecdotally like this is absolutely an addiction. So um, if it's in your life, 
and it's taking up time that otherwise could be spent otherwise. Like one of the stats I saw was that guys watch like 12 or 13 hours a week. And I'm going like, how? Like that, I don't even know where you'd find that time. And yet there are a lot of men who do that. And, and so, yeah, like it, it becomes an addiction when I think it takes away from other parts of your life or harms you in some way. And you've given some great examples. Um, there are a few other examples that I just want to touch on and see if you have any like data points or thoughts. Um, some of the things that I was wondering about, you touched on ED already, erectile dysfunction, uh, performance anxiety, dissatisfaction with the actual sexual experience that you're having in the moment in real life. Uh, yeah. Again, the amount of hours that goes into this. Um, do you know if there's any like research or anything done on brain development or teens watching porn? Uh, no, there, there isn't. That's the short answer. Like they're starting to do it for sure. Um, I think like 10, 15 years ago when people were like trying to raise the flag about this thing, um, most researchers just kind of pushed it to the side, didn't think much of it. Now that like, again, like stats around like erectile dysfunction, great example where it's like, hello, like this is clearly a thing. Um, so I think we'll get re more research on it now. But with brain development, you like you need more time even just to see what happens. So it will be a while before we know that part for sure. Right. Okay. Um, another thing I have is like unrealistic expectations. And these yeah. don't, these don't even need to be like proven with statistics in my opinion right now. Like these are things that if you want to do the research, there's some out there as you're saying, but like unrealistic expectations, I think is probably a, a big issue with especially young men never having had a sexual experience before the only expectation because, and this is a point for dads to, to sort of step up here. We don't have the conversations with our kids because maybe we never had them or maybe we're uncomfortable or we just don't know like how to speak into their lives. Like yeah. this becomes, rather than learning from us as fathers, they learn this stuff from porn. And yes. I hear about this all the time. So uh, have you seen anything like that in regards to unrealistic expectations or anything like oh, that? Oh, it's a huge one. It's a huge one, man. Okay, so um, let's talk about it just from the academic side first. So um, one of the really common requests that uh, urologists, like the guy I mentioned, Dr. Aaron Spitz, is getting in his practice is uh, for male enhancement surgeries. Because guys are, of course, seeing these performers online, feeling like they cannot measure up, they can't compete, and thinking that the only way they're actually going to be satisfactory in the bedroom is if they make an adjustment to their appendage. And what he said is that 80% of guys that come into his office and ask for the operation decide to not go through with it when they hear the stats about the average male length. But they just don't know any better, right? Because they're being programmed right. by pornography. Um, another common one is even like duration in the bedroom. So the average porn video is, I think, about 20 to 21 minutes long. And that is about three times. Actually, I think it's about four times the average sexcapade with, between, you know, a man and a, and a wife. Um, so it, it just goes to show you that like porn really programs us for something that is completely unrealistic. And if we don't know any better, like you're saying, like if we're not educated on it, if our parents don't talk to us about it, um, if porn is, is our teacher, then we, we have these ideals that are really hard to, uh, you know, detach from. And I, I guess on the other side of it, this is more anecdotal now, but a lot of my clients are feeling bad for themselves. They're throwing these pity parties because their wives or their partners don't want to do things that they think are normal because they were seeing it in the porn video. And it's like, I thought everybody does this. Like, surely this is the norm. And then they're feeling bad for themselves because they've never had a specific experience or something. And I'm like, bro, for starters, that's a weird thing to ask for. But secondly, like... <laughs> That is so not the point. Like there, there's no standard of what's right or wrong. You and your partner get to figure that out together. That's what it means to actually grow in a sexual relationship. And if she doesn't want to do it, that's well within her right. You not only do you respect it, but you say, hey, like, thanks for setting a boundary and let's make the most of the things you are comfortable doing. So I think um, I think those are like, I guess, two different sides of what I would say is the same coin, which is porn programming us for completely unrealistic experiences in our sex life. Can you go deeper on the communication aspect there? Do you work with your clients at all on this, like how to grow a communicative sexual relationship and express the needs that you might have while not expecting them or needing them to be met? Yeah, we talk about this a lot in our groups. And I'm, I'm, I will say, like, I'm really glad, Kurt, that you do groups as well, because I think um, I think men need it now more than ever. So if you haven't been in one of Kurt's groups yet, you should really do it because those are like um, that's where the, the transformation really happens. Um what we see, I guess, is like, for starters, guys have a hard time with disclosure. 
So a lot of the guys who come to me are like, hey, I actually haven't talked to my wife about it. She kind of knows. Um, you know, anytime, anytime they say she kind of knows, she doesn't know, but they just assume that like she doesn't, or maybe he got caught one time. That's usually what that means. So um, that's where we always start in the band of communication. It's like, okay, well, you have to like, we got to figure out how you can kind of start opening up to her. Um, that's sort of part one. And, and it can take a lot of time to even just get through that phase because of course, like it brings up a whole set of questions for the wife and sometimes there's some repair that needs to take place there. Um, but then as far as like talking about sex and that kind of thing, we really encourage it. Like if you really want a good sex life, you have to be able to talk about it. Um, and it's not just talking about it as in the act, but it's getting an understanding of like, what is the experience of sex like for the other person? What are their needs? What are their preferences? What are the things they don't like? Um, are there any fears or insecurities around sex? Um, all those kinds of things should be part of the conversation. And we really do encourage our guys to, um, to, to be leaders, you know, and to really initiate those dialogues because they go a really long way. And it is uncomfortable. Like, I don't want to present it like, you know, you should be able to talk about this. It's so easy. Like, we all know there's something about sex that's just very personal and it's much easier to stay hidden about it. But at the same time, we all want a healthy sex life. Like we all want to be that great partner for whoever it is that we're with. And what bridges that gap or makes it possible is communication. So yeah, it, it's a huge thing that we emphasize. Um, it, I would say it's not a focus. Like we focus really on the recovery part, specifically from pornography. Um, but in our group calls, inevitably this conversation comes up. And these are some of the things that we try to emphasize. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. I, I love a lot of that. Um, the things that are coming up for me right now is that like, yes, like you said, it's very uncomfortable. And I just encourage guys to like own the discomfort, own the insecurity, own the embarrassment and sit with it because this is likely coming from the fact that you may or may not have been taught or, or the absence of having that been taught, uh, that it's like not okay to talk about that, that it's weird, that it's shameful. And yeah. there's like a lot of shame in this sort of talk. And just from personal experience, I know like how good it can be after having those conversations, being yes. honest, being open and like, yeah, it feels like, am I allowed to talk about this? Like I had that little boy energy in my head. Like, I'm going to get in trouble. And it's like, no, man, I, like you said, I'm the leader. I'm the man. I got to do this because nobody else is going to do it. And the connection, like, let alone, never mind the, the physical act, whatever, um, the connection that comes from having these deep, connective understanding and relationship with your wife, with your partner uh, in an intimate setting, man, like it is, it can be transformative. It can be transcendent. And I yes. just want to give the guys out there like that hope that it doesn't have to be like sketchy. We do the same thing every time. I kind of want more, but I don't know how to say it. Like it can be with the vulnerability that it it takes and the courage that it takes to have these talks it can be like unbelievable so shine the light on the dark and and go there that's really good man really good um i was gonna add something my wife and i we um we chose to not have sex until we got married and, and like i said that plays into my faith life and some of my morals and um getting closer to our wedding day i was starting to get the jitters a little bit like some performance anxiety because i i guess i was just realizing like i mean my wife and i both had sexual past so like we weren't perfect people in that sense by any means, but we had decided in our relationship um, to wait till marriage. But I guess I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to measure up um, to maybe like her previous experiences, but also um, to what I had seen on porn, you know, like, and I had been free of porn for a little bit at that point, but, um, but still was really feeling it. And so I, I mustered up the courage. It was, it was kind of through the nudging of one of my mentors. I mustered the courage to just have the conversation. And you emphasize something that I probably should have clarified earlier, which is when you have these dialogues, you, you start by owning your side of it, like the things that you're fearful about. Like you don't start the dialogue to be like, hey, here are the things that I, I'm hoping you'll do or like whatever, you know, like it has to start with you owning it. So like I had just spoken to him. She was my fiance at the time. Like, hey, I'm, I'm feeling actually really nervous. I'm kind of insecure. I'm not going to measure up. Um, da, da, da. I don't know what your expectations are. We haven't talked about it. And that conversation was super liberating because when I heard her expectations, I was like, oh, that's great. Like. Like, you know, for her, it was just all about connection and like, you know, having like having those that time together. It, it had nothing to do with my performance, um, of course, but like classic guy brain. Like I'm just like I'm thinking about like trying to measure up and trying to like woo her and wow her and everything. Um, but it was super helpful. And like from that conversation until we got married, I think we we're a couple more months. 
And like, I was starting to just joke around, like, I hope you're ready for the best 15 seconds of your life, you know, like talking about the wedding night. Like we just start to make jokes about it. And I think that lightheartedness made it so much easier when we did start having sex because um, the dialogue was there. And like you were saying, the vulnerability was there. So because it, it happened at an emotional level, then it was so much easier to engage in, in sex, which is also very vulnerable um, at a physical level. So I, I think um, those things go hand in hand and that is the benefit. It, it's sort of the counterintuitive thing is if you have the conversations that are uncomfortable, it will actually make your sex life more enjoyable and more comfortable in the long run. But you have to kind of make the hard step first. Totally. And, and this is bringing to mind uh, something that I've heard from a previous podcast guest, Dominic Cortuccio. He runs the Great Man Within podcast. And he has talked a lot about um, creating intimacy outside of sex. So yeah. if, for example, you are struggling with erectile dysfunction, or if something's just not quite right, or you know, you, you're not connected with um, your, your wife, and there is a way to create intimacy without penetrative sex. And it's like, that is impossible if you're not willing to have conversations. Because yeah. most guys shut down, shameful, oh no, like I'm the worst, something's wrong with me. But if you're able to sit with that discomfort and like we're talking about, be vulnerable, share it, here's what I'm feeling right now. Um, you know, what can we do here to maintain connection? Because I do wanna stay connected with you. Like there are ways, and I think this is just like the start of a fantastic conversation. If you wanna go down that route, listen to some of the podcast by Dom. Um, but like, yeah, there is so much to this. It doesn't have to be this like, close your eyes. Oh my God. I hope nobody notices that I'm having sex. And then like <laughs> super basic and you don't get what you need. She doesn't get what she needs. Like what, what's the point? This is yeah. such a beautiful, like a beautiful part of life that not enough guys are like really diving into because we don't have permission from, yeah. from being a man. And so I just want to give that permission. And it sounds like you're giving that permission too, just with your own story, man. So I, I really thank you for going there. Oh yeah. 100%. I actually, I just interviewed a couple on my podcast. What, what did you say that one's called? The Great Man Within? Yeah. Is that, yeah. My, so my podcast is called Unleash the Man Within. So not, not, too, nice. not too different there. But we, uh, we were interviewing a couple and we, were, we kind of got on the subject. We were just talking about um, sex and kind of the early, the early stages, I guess, the first couple of years. And um, we were poking fun at each other a little bit at like the difference between a guy and a girl after sex, right? Because the girl um, wants to connect emotionally. They want to cuddle generally, right? Like they still want to kind of interact. And like the guy, he was giving this example of like uh, recently, like afterwards, like, you know, they're cuddling, but like, he's just thinking about like ants and like how cool it is that <laughs> they can build these ant farms that are so intricate, you know? And it's like, it, we were just, we were howling. But the point was that actually all you have to do is talk about it. And like, for me, like I know my wife wants that afterwards as well because she's expressed it to me. Like, hey, when you, you know, when you just switch off and start watching sports after or like you leave the room, that's actually like really hard for me. Like that feels like you didn't get anything out of the experience, which I'm like, what? That's crazy. Cause like I was present right until the very end. But for her, of course, it hasn't ended. So like just a great example of like when you have these conversations, you talk it through a little bit. Um you're able to make those adjustments for each other and every like both of you leave the experience both feeling fulfilled, feeling content, feeling cared for. And that's really what it's all about. Yeah, man, I love this. I'm feeling fired up right now. <laughs> Thanks for going there. Um, yeah. While I'm feeling fired up, I would love to walk through some of your story. I know you shared a little bit about um, going deeper into the mother wound, um, but would yeah. you just walk us through like maybe through the depths of uh, the negative consequences in your life, how you were using pornography, and then how you actually made a change to get to the other side? And I mean, now you're teaching men how to do this. So I think it would be very revealing if you're able to sort of go there um, and, you know, however vulnerable you feel you can be, um, I would love to just hear and learn from you. Absolutely, man. So um, I'll set it up a little bit. I Like I said, I grew up in a pretty good home. My dad was a pastor and uh, we went to Christian schools for most of our lives. So I'm, I have a younger brother and an older sister. So um, I say that because everything was set up for me to make pretty good decisions in life. I got exposed to pornography in the computer lab of my Christian school when I was 11 years old. So it, it just goes to show you like, and that was in 2001, Kurt, like this is before the smartphone. This is even before like the internet's really like kicking off, you know, man, if so, you like, can find it there, like it's everywhere. That's seriously. Insane. Yeah. And it was purely by accident. It was a really innocent sounding website. Um, but that was sort of the beginning of it. Now I didn't go home and like begin looking it up right away. I was actually kind of, I was kind of disturbed and kind of intrigued. It's, it's weird. You know, first exposure can often be like that. Um, but eventually I start to think more about it. 
And I w- it was probably right before I hit puberty, to be honest. So anyway, um, by the time I was in high school, I would say porn consumption was normal. And even among my peers, I knew that they did it. There was occasionally even times where we hung out and we would like watch stuff together. Um, so that all kind of reinforced that like we all knew it was wrong. Like we're all attending a Christian school here. Like we all have that moral fiber in us that says like you shouldn't be doing this uh, apart from like all the other reasons you shouldn't be. And yet we still kind of chose to. But in those days, I just told myself, I'll stop this later, um, you know, when it's when my life is more important or, you know, whatever it is. Um, university, uh, my goal was to get into med school and become a psychiatrist. So I was uh, working really hard, very high achieving academically. Um, I got over five figures of research grants in my undergrad. So I was often working in labs and then I had a part time job. So I worked hard, man. And porn for me was my reward at the end of the day. And it was kind of my relief as well. And that's where it really became an addiction because every day I would come home and I, I couldn't wait to watch something. I would think about what I was going to watch. I would almost have it curated before I would even get home. I'd have an idea of where I was going to look. Um, and we talked earlier about you know what, what makes something an addiction. And the DSM, that, that manual for psychiatrists, they look for a few factors. One is they look for uh, desensitization, which is that the content that you're watching no longer gives that fulfillment. So you start to watch something that's either more intense or you watch it in greater amounts. Um, that was starting to happen for me. So I would definitely be watching more of it, uh, longer periods of time. And it was probably almost a daily thing, if not um, maybe a couple times a day, depending on the week. So that was one thing. Um, another, another common quality of an addiction that they look for is that you are neglecting normal responsibilities and even your social commitments. And um, thankfully, that was not a huge thing for me, but a lot of my clients experience that where they're like, yeah, I, I blew my friends off tonight. I told them that I was sick or that I was busy, but really, I just wanted to watch porn. Um, so thankfully, that wasn't part of my, my life too much, but it, it was in the mix a little bit. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to touch on is uh, a third quality they look for to diagnose an addiction or to qualify an addiction rather is that you engage in riskier behavior to get the substance or to engage in the act. And uh, one of the lowest moments for me was um, our, our computer was in um, our guest bedroom. So this was, this was kind of even before we had laptops and stuff, right? Or maybe I had a laptop, but anyway, the computer's in the guest bedroom and um, my brother was sleeping in it. I forget exactly why, um, but he was sleeping in it. I think it was in the basement and it was a bit colder or whatever. So he was sleeping in the basement and there was one night where like I really just had a strong craving. Uh, I had taken no effort at this point to like get porn out of my life. So it was just when it came up, I usually gave in. And um, I was like, oh, I really shouldn't watch it. Like he's in the room, he's sleeping and whatever. Um, But like eventually, like, you know, I guess one thing just led to another. And I wound up watching with my brother sleeping there in the bedroom. And that that was one of those moments where it was like, oh, my gosh, this is this is actually really, really bad. Um, Eventually, I reached a point in my life where it was like, okay, I I wanted to clean up a bunch of things. Um, I actually went through uh, a really tough breakup. Um, I was I was dating somebody for about a year and a half. Found out they had cheated on me, and um, that one that one stung. Um, it really stung, and it caused me to look at my life a little bit and realize I need to make some changes. And at the top of that list was to get rid of porn. And um, <laughs> no matter how hard I tried or what I did, I could not shake it. Um, and I, I could go a couple days or maybe even a couple weeks, but I was caught in the binge purge cycle. Uh, very like very typical symptom of somebody who's in an addiction. So. Um, that was when I realized this is way worse than I thought and I need to start getting help. The initial help for me was very um, isolated. So it was an internet filter. It was an accountability partner. I think I talked to one friend about it. Um, but it was really like I didn't want to open up too much. I didn't want to share with anybody. And I was really doing uh, what I would call behavior modification. I wasn't really getting to the heart of the issue. I was just trying to curb that bad behavior pattern. Um, that didn't last very long. And eventually it became really clear like, hey, if I'm going to make some progress here, um, I, I need to do something different. Now, I didn't know at the time how important like wounds of the past, how you view yourself, um, emotional well-being. I had no idea how much those played in. But um, it was in my mid-20s where I started to discover this. And I, I was actually part of a program that specifically equips you in these areas and really helps you heal and transform your heart. 
And that's where I really started to experience breakthrough. I, I learned to love myself. Um, I, I just started to see myself different. Um, I figured out how to become emotionally present again and really just be, um, I think, in touch with my inner life like we were talking about at the beginning. And then I processed some of those wounds. All of that happened in that same season. And that's when I, I would say I actually started to experience true freedom. So not just sobriety, but actual freedom. Like something was changing within me and the repercussion or the ripple effect of that was that I was not choosing to engage in porn as much. So um, like I said, it was, it was about five years of trying different things, um, transformation, healing of the heart, all that stuff. Um, and February 2016 was the last time that I ever viewed. So it's been, I think at the time of our recording here, coming up on about six years. Wow. That's amazing, man. Thanks for going there. And I just, I love the fact that the answer was like healing a heart or like yeah. filling your heart or being able to love yourself. Cause that's even in my journey, like my, I, I haven't struggled with addiction beyond, you know, my phone once in a while. Like I was never a user of pornography, you know, beyond the first few times, you know, you see it in high school or whatever, like you said, you know, you watch it with your buddies and, and then it's sort of just there, but like, that's never an issue with me. But my issue was like anger. Like I was almost addicted to anger because of the control it allowed me to feel. And so that's sort of the closest that I have come to a true addiction. But the thing that's the same in that story is that it was my ability to love myself that really started this entire thing to see everything that had happened to me as having happened for me and to really understand that like whatever reactions I was having started as like loving uh, act the first acts of self-love I say are like the formation of the ego because it's trying to protect you from whatever is happening in your environment that doesn't feel good that feels unsafe and it creates these defense mechanisms and so it was for me as well the first act is just like oh I can feel compassion and empathy and like forgiveness for myself. So I just, I love that that's part of your story too, because yeah. man, that is just so transformative for me. Yeah. I mean, I always tell people like you, you can't outperform your beliefs, you know, like whatever you think about yourself, it's always going to manifest in your behavior one way or another. And a, a lot of the guys that we work with, like they just think they're these dirty, rotten people because they're struggling with pornography and they know they shouldn't be. And, um, you know, like a lot of my clients do come from a religious background. So sometimes the religious shame is compounding their experience of that. And, um, and I always tell guys, like, if you believe that you're a pervert, if you believe that there's something terribly wrong with you and that you're just kind of messed up, you're going to do perverted things by faith. Like if that's what you believe about yourself, what else would a pervert do but watch porn and engage in these kinds of sexual misbehaviors? So in, until you start to actually view yourself the right way, and it, it like, I like what you're saying, it's not as simple as just saying like, okay, I'm not a pervert. I am great. I'm awesome. I'm amazing. Like it, it's, not, it's not just like flipping it on its head, but actually working through like learning to forgive yourself, learning to value yourself. Um, I love that statement. Like it's not happening to me. It's happening for me. Um, just that kind of like take life by the horns uh, with a real, um, I would say just an authentic authority. That goes a really long way to loving yourself seeing yourself the right way and correcting those beliefs. And of course, as you start to see yourself as somebody who is worthy of unconditional love, someone who has infinite value and was, you know, wired to make a difference in this world, of course, your behaviors are going to follow suit as well. Yeah. One of the things I say um, often, I try to remind guys is that like, it's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. And, and what I mean by that is like all the things leading up to your conditioning today, like you didn't have a say in that as a kid, you didn't have a say in what society you grew up in. And unfortunately it's your responsibility maybe not unfortunately actually fortunately because it gives you hope so like yes. a lot of guys can't divorce the fault and responsibility they think like oh like i'm like this and i have to take responsibility for it but like i just feel bad because i'm a bad person and if you're able to just step back and be like hey it actually makes sense that you're engaging these behaviors based on everything that you've experienced up to this point and it's still you're the only one who's going to be able to make a difference in your own life. Like you say, take life by the horns. Like you can do that so much easier without the guilt of thinking it's all your fault all the time. So yeah, man, these are, these are powerful conversations. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, one of the, one of the things that we often say in our community is that a mistake made once is a mistake, but a mistake made twice is a choice. And, and I think, I think it's so easy to deflect responsibility. And like you said, like, I, I think especially, you know, um, some of like the 12 step programs for addiction, um, like step one is just like, it's, it's acknowledging that you have, it's admitting it, right? Like that I have the problem. I am the problem. And that's really hard for guys to do. But as you said, it's the most empowering thing you can do because you cannot be part of a solution if you're not first part of the problem. 
So when you're, when you're part of the problem, it's actually the only way that you have a chance to change your circumstances. As long as the problem is, doesn't involve you and you're not responsible, that problem will persist in your life, whether it's porn or something else. So that responsibility bit is, um, it's huge, man. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. One of the questions I had based on your story was you talked about this idea of a reward system. And I wonder yeah. if you have something like that today that still gives you that feeling of like, okay, I deserve, almost deserve, maybe not the right word, but I would like some reward, but that is not so troublesome anymore. Is there something like that in your life still? Yeah. I mean, it, it changes, it changes regularly for sure. But I think, um, I think there's probably two things that I would say uh, I, I really reward myself with. I love chocolate. Um, so I do have chocolate pretty much every single day. And uh, my wife and I have this tradition of having brunch every Saturday morning. So that's like one of those rewards that I really, really look forward to. And I mean, the brunch is really enticing to my brain. But what actually really um, what makes it so great is we have some of our best conversations just about marriage, about life, about our future over brunch Saturday mornings. Um, so that's become a huge reward for me, I think, in my life. And the other thing that is really valuable to me is like I'm big on friendship. Um, most of my friends, like the guys who stood beside me at my wedding, I've been friends with all of them for a decade plus, And I got married at 29. So like it's not like I was around forever. Um, I'm really big on those friendships. And that is hugely rewarding for me. Uh, my wife and I are actually based out of uh, Toronto, Canada. But I currently live in Jamaica because she's Jamaican and we decided to move down here for the winter. And um, like I'm still keeping in touch with my friends there. We're chatting on the phone pretty regularly. Some of them it's every week. And those are huge rewards for me as well. And that, that again, that comes from conditioning because if you asked me 10 years ago if like I would consider talking on the phone with a friend to be a reward, it would be like not at all. Like how is that rewarding? But now I realize like this is so paramount to my success in life and my overall contentment. Um, that's, that's a huge one for me. Nice. Cool, man. Um, yeah, I was just wondering, cause like a lot of guys probably, you have that same reward system and it's like, well, what are you going to replace it with? But of course then you do the inner work and like, you might not even need to replace it specifically for the same reason. So, uh, yeah. that was just sort of a curiosity. Um, another curiosity is like, how has this impacted your relationship with your family being so open about this stuff? Cause I'm sure that like it, so few people are willing to go as deep as you are and as vulnerable as you are about this. And it must be, I assume shocking almost is like people in your family. So is there anything there to dive into? How has that affected things? Oh, it's a great question. And, and I do apologize. I think the ice cream truck is just going by. It's, it's Jamaica. It's all so good. It's, it's hot year, year round. So yeah. Um, okay. So basically I had a conversation with my parents um, when I was still struggling actually. And um, the conversation was like, hey, mom and dad, um, there's an area of my life that I haven't really let you into or shared about much, but I think it would be important to just let you know um, and I explained to them, like I got exposed to pornography at uh, the Christian school, you know, when I was 11 years old, they were kind of shocked by that. And I explained to them, like, I, I really continue to struggle. Um, I'm doing a lot better. I think when I had that conversation, I was doing quite well. I still had a, another relapse or two before I got fully free afterwards. But um, that's where it started. My parents, um, my parents are really level headed. They're not your typical traditional Christian uh, Indian parents. They, they are Indian, like they were both born and raised in India, you know. So Indian culture has a whole subset of uh, issues that come with it when it comes to sexuality and all this stuff. They were, they were really understanding, um, certainly shocked by it. But they, they just said, hey, thanks for letting us know. You know, we love you, just the same kind of thing. Um, so I really couldn't have got a better response. Um, and, you know, with my siblings, like, um, I, I think we've always just kind of, I had an understanding that like we all have our stuff and um, this hasn't really changed it too much. It, it doesn't come up really like around the dinner table per se, but, um, but yeah, it, it certainly is interesting because when you're growing up, like there's all these sibling dynamics. And I think my, my impression is that like my siblings often viewed me as kind of the poster child because, you know, I skipped a grade. I was really brainy. I got tons of awards and stuff. And like, I uh, was very high achieving. And, and to be fair, like we were all high achieving, but certainly, um, but between my siblings, I was, I was viewed that way. Um, and I did take my faith seriously, like even when I was young and still kind of one foot in one foot out. But, um, but yeah, I think it was actually quite relieving for them to be like, all right, this guy had his stuff too. Like it wasn't all daisies and roses and he wasn't just like getting 90s all around while like, you know, living this perfect life. So I think it was good on that front, but it, it hasn't changed a lot. Like it's not like people don't talk to me anymore or they view me differently. Like my family, I'm very fortunate. Like my family has been supportive and really understanding. 
Right. Yeah. Thanks for going there, man. Because that's one of the things that I was thinking of is like, we often don't say things that we need to because we assume what the other person's going to think. Did you have assumptions of what would happen when you told your parents? Well, yeah, like in general, like even if we brought in this just beyond my parents, like when I first started talking about this on social media, because like that's kind of how this thing started. Like I started posting about it on social media. I was legitimately scared, you know, because I thought like I had worked for churches and stuff before. I thought people were going to come back and be like, you hypocrite, like you lied, like whatever, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I had a lot of fears for sure. But I had reached the point in my life where it was like people out there are struggling I know I have something to help them. I owe it to the world to put myself out there, even if I'm completely ostracized. Like I had sort of come to terms with it. And thankfully, like nobody, nobody in my circle has really treated me differently or judged me. And I, again, some of that ties back to the fact that like everyone kind of understands like this is a prevalent issue and you know, you're the guy talking about it, but let's not kid ourselves. Like a majority of guys have had their experiences and probably still are struggling with it in some capacity. So I think, um, it's more, it's worked mostly to my advantage, but lots of mental fears to kind of hurdle before I could come out with it. Yeah. And just doing courageous stuff, man. I, I love talking about that. We talk about that a lot in men's group is just yes. like have the courage to do the things that are hard. And it's a lot easier with guys in your corner, of course, but I just, I'm glad that, you know, there's a, a great example, another great example, not only getting help and talking about it, but then like sharing this in the yes. world. And I felt the same way. And like mine wasn't about something that was, um, you know, inherently people have a judgment about. I was just talking about like my own struggles and fatherhood. And I was yeah. like, Oh no, like everyone's going to think I'm, a failure or this or that if I share all my failures that I've learned from and it turned it's turned into this big community so like you know my, my encouragement is like go out there and be yourself and be honest and be vulnerable be authentic because life is so much easier when you're not trying to live like dual lives or like wondering what you can share and what you can't share and and there's a place for oversharing versus authenticity to be sure but man yeah. I've just I've seen in you and I've seen in myself just this power that comes from sharing your story that's really um, good Sorry, I was just, I was actually going to ask you, Kurt, like what, what do you advise people on, on the sharing part? Like where do you draw the line for what's appropriate sharing and what's oversharing? Yeah. One of the things I've talked to my co-captain in my men's group about locally. So I've got the online groups, but I've also got this group of men locally that we run together. And he said, people like stories about scars. They don't like stories about wounds. And I thought that wow. was like a great differentiation between like, here's what I'm going through and like all of the stuff while it's happening. There's a place for that for the men, especially inside men's group. And he was talking mostly from a leadership capacity. So for the men going through those wounds, absolutely bring them to the, to the circle. But as a leader, as someone who's trying to get out there and share a message and hopefully bring people along beside him, the scars are the things that are sort of worth talking about so that people aren't not disgusted but I mean it, that gives you a fairly visual sense when you use the words wound and scar um, and I think that's it the other thing that comes to mind is just discernment like is the thing I'm sharing going to help anyone what am I getting out of this and that's just being intentional with every aspect of your life like am I speaking to be seen and validated or am I speaking because my heart needs to be heard and just okay. like getting clear on those kind of things. So yeah, intentionality, mindfulness, uh, and then yeah, <laughs> wounds, save it for the close men in your men's group. Uh, yeah, scars, yeah. scars are a lot better if you're leading. <laughs> That's so um, good, th man. Yeah. Thanks for asking, by the way. I, I also love to just sort of have these conversations where it's like, oh yeah, that reminds me of something. So I appreciate you asking. Yeah, the, uh, the last thing that I want to talk about just before our time ends here is um, whether or not you have any ideas on how to talk to our kids about this. And I know yeah. we've sort of got into a little bit of that on being honest and open, but like, how would you have liked to be talked about this? Or how have you helped your clients talk to their kids about this? Yeah, this is a huge question. And it's going to become more and more important as time goes on. So I would say there's two things. Number one um, is the law for standard. I don't know if you've heard much about this, but the, the basic idea um, with like, I would say this is raising kids in general. And actually, it's, it's not even true for kids alone. It's true for everybody. But we tend to compare everything else that we hear to the first mention. So whether the first mention is a reliable source or not, anything, it doesn't matter. But if it's a topic you know nothing about, you're coming in green the first mention tends to create the standard that we compare everything else to. So when you are learning through pornography, which is my experience, the problem is for me to learn healthy sexuality, 
I now have to undo that first mention, that first standard. And something like pornography that is a super stimulating experience is really hard to reverse. It's hard to reverse those expectations and the imprint that it leaves on your brain. So one of the best things you can do as a parent is get ahead of the curb, be the first person that they talk to about it, set those standards so that when they, unfortunately, it's probably when they get exposed, not if they get exposed, they're actually comparing porn to what you've taught them instead of the reverse. So I think that's a really good starting point. The second thing, and this is really hard for parents, but when you have conversations around sex and sexuality, the more relaxed you are about it, the more relaxed your kids will be about it. If they can feel the tension, the angst, and if they feel any degree of you trying to control them, like the conversations we heard growing up in Christian circles, again, I don't know how much of your audience has a faith background, but like all we really heard was like porn bad and sex for marriage. That was pretty much it. Porn bad, sex for marriage. And so like anything else around it was like, you just got all these all this tension from your leaders um, or your parents and you could tell there's kind of this discomfort. Um, so the more comfortable you start to get talking about it, the better. And if, you're, if your children can tell that you are comfortable and that you're a safe person to talk to, like you're gonna be honest with them, um, you're not gonna sugarcoat it, you're not gonna try to force them to do anything, but you're actually just gonna speak openly and vulnerably, vulnerably with them and you're gonna empower them they'll come back. They'll come back again and again and again. But if they if they don't feel that with you, it's quite likely that when they have questions or curiosities, they're going to go to other places. And that suddenly becomes beyond your control. And God knows what they're going to find out there. So those would be my two main things. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it actually goes uh, right in line with what I was talking to uh, another guest, Larry Hagner, about. He runs this huge dad podcast called The Dad Edge. And I was talking to him about this and he said the same thing. Building psychological safety is the first step. And then second step is like realizing it's normal. Like yeah. we we talk about this as though it's not normal, as though it's it's bad to have these feelings or these thoughts. And, you know, in my experience and talking to all these other dads, like it's just normal. That's what puberty is. That's what being a young man is. That's what being interesting and interested in these sorts of things is. It's not bad to have the feelings. But when you have the feelings without sort of guardrails, and I don't mean like control your children, but give them the benefit of having those conversations so that the guardrails are in place, then you can navigate. Then you can be like, you don't have to feel weird or embarrassed or like, oh my God, my kid's getting there. It's like this, you know, natural conversation that should keep happening. Not once, like I got, I remember being like 10 or 11 in the car sitting with my dad and he's like, okay, son, well, here's a couple of things. And then nothing ever again, like ever again. And it's just like, that's so wrong. (laughs) And I think that's still probably like the norm. So I'm just trying to challenge that on this show is like, dads, you got to have the communication. You got to have these hard conversations. Um, And that's perfect. Just like the safety and um, yeah, making sure that you're the safe person to go to so that they can learn from that, especially with your nervous system. So that's a great point yeah and one last thing i would attach to that is like um don't forget dads that you know we all had probably not a great experience like i i'm amazed that your dad even talked to you like the fact you had one conversation i'm so jealous you know um we we all like probably had a rougher experience with our our parents and like most people we always say like i'm never i'm not going to make that same mistake with my kids um but if you if you really want to change the trajectory of your lineage you have to be the one who's actually brave enough to have those conversations, even if they're uncomfortable. And I think that's something to not lose sight of is you're not just doing this for you. You're not just doing this for your kid. You are doing this for generations because if you can create that kind of psychological safety and that comfort within your child around sexuality and it prompts them to make good decisions and have a healthy view of sexuality themselves, they're going to pass that on to their kids and their kids and their kids. So um, it's not like we can be so short-sighted about it and it's much easier to put off, but when you understand the long-term implications of a decision like that, you would be absolutely crazy to not have the conversation no matter how uncomfortable it might be. Man, that is literally the whole reason that I do this kind of work, because I believe if we can be chain breakers, as I've heard it be called, the breaking the chain of intergenerational trauma, whether that's with sex, whether it's with abuse, whether it's with anger or whatever, if we can do the work on ourselves as fathers, the chain breaks. When the chain breaks, our children don't carry on our generational trauma. When they don't carry that on, they become more grounded. They have better secure attachment. They build communities and families that don't 
don't have the issues that we had. And 20, 40 years from now, in a couple generations, the world's a much safer, healthier, more loving place. And so that's like, whether it's porn, whether it's sexuality, whether it's whatever, that's why we do this work as dads for the future, for our kids, you know? So it starts with us and like, it just carries on for generations. So man, I agree more. Yeah. I'm glad that you went there. Cool, man. Okay. Well, this has been uh, a lot of fun. Like I've actually learned a lot. I have really enjoyed learning uh, from you and hearing your story and where can people find you? Maybe starting with like what it is exactly that you do, which I will have covered in the intro, uh, but let's just go over it again. Yeah. Yeah. So I've founded a program called Deep Clean uh, that helps guys overcome pornography addiction in a systematic process. Uh, We work especially with high-performing individuals, uh, doctors, athletes, engineers, accountants, that kind of thing. Um, But you can check everything out at sathiasam.com. And uh, that's probably the best place. And for for your listeners that are looking to get some resources, um, I do have a free ebook called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. Um, everybody can access that. It really is, is meant to kind of target a broader audience who just wants to get started on their journey to eliminate porn. That's available at ultimaterecoveryguide.com. It's completely free of charge. Um, and if you have some audience members who are readers and want to get a book, um, my first book, The Last Relapse, is coming out. It literally explains my system. So I would read the book first. And if you feel like the system makes sense to you and you want to do it with a little bit of help, then you can reach out to me and we can jump on a call and see what that might look like. So those are the best ways to get in touch. Beautiful. Well, thanks for doing this work, man. It is so important. And I'm just glad that you're being so vulnerable with it. Yeah, it's my pleasure, man. And, and likewise, I think you're doing a really good thing, especially doing all these groups. It's, um, it's so needed. And like, I know on our end, we have agreed, like, we will not do anything without a group component because it's so paramount and fundamental for just guys being healthy, let alone getting free of porn. So um, you're doing a great thing, man. Thanks so much for allowing me to be a part of it today. It was really cool. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world. To find out more about everything that we talked about in the episode today, including show notes, resources, and links to subscribe, leave a review, work with us, go to dad.work slash pod. That's D-A-D dot W-O-R-K slash P-O-D. Type that into your browser, just like a normal URL, dad.work slash pod. You'll find everything there you need to become a better man, a better partner, and a better father. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.